Welcome to the Humanity Leadership Podcast. My name is David Wheatley. We're here to talk leadership in small, bite-sized and practical chunks. Enjoy. Well, welcome to this episode of the Humanity Leadership Podcast. My guest uh, is a returner. Uh, Margie Hageny, uh, she and I had the opportunity of working together many, many, many years ago. And uh, and on the last episode, we got some great uh, secrets that I've shared with many of my clients. The 10-second the rule after you've asked a question came from that conversation. And, um, and the fact that some of the best powerful questions are seven words or less came from that conversation. But I've asked her on today because earlier this year, a significant uh, author and academic in the world of of leadership questions died. His name was Edgar Schein. He's Swiss-born American businessman and uh, MIT professor and wrote a book called Humble Inquiry, which uh, Margie turned me on to. And uh, it turns out was quite a, a significant had a significant part to play in this idea of asking people the right question to unlock their thinking. So welcome, Margie. Thank you. It's good to be back with you, David. Well, and thanks for joining me. And the, the reason why I asked you to, to come on and talk is because you actually had the opportunity of interacting quite uh, strongly with Edgar Schein. So what, what was your experience? Yeah, um, I think we had talked about this a bit before. I was being influenced by Ed Schein before I knew it was his important work that was um, influencing me. In my days working at Ford Motor Company, I had the good fortune to do some work with Peter Senge. And there was a um, an organization of, of systems thinking colleagues that Peter had at MIT and Ed Schein was one of those people. And Ed was, um, is often referred to as the founder of the body of work called organizational psychology. So I um, I was in a room with him for a few days in Boston and learned more about the connection with that. And then over the years, because of my focus on the importance of asking effective questions, I learned that that was a part of Ed's work as well with the practice of humble inquiry. And um, in my work with Stanford Children's Hospital and Ed having been an alumni there, I came to have some time with him and his son, Peter, who were um, still helping to further Ed's teachings and research and practice when Ed was well into his 90s. So it was um, a privilege and humbling to be in a room with him and to have dinner with him and have him sketching on my paper napkin at dinner. And um, it was um, it was an honor to be in his circle. Yeah, that's kind of cool when you get invited to those conversations, isn't it? So how in so, the world did I get to that table? Yeah, yeah, major imposter syndrome. Uh, I, I've had a couple of those opportunities where you sit down and you think, okay, so these two people are the, the leaders in this field and they're sat with me. I'm the third person at this table. How can this be happening? Exactly. Uh, um, and so I thought today then, uh, because of that experience, uh, maybe we could just uh, recount 
Edgar Schein's greatest hits kind of thing. So you said you were influenced by him before you knew it was his work and you continue to be influenced by him. In your mind, what are some of the, the key things that he brought to organizational psychology and, and our whole thing of asking great questions? He, um, yeah, he was one of the first people to focus on the importance and recognition of culture in organizational systems, be it the culture of a particular profession and that of a subculture of a bigger, complex, messy system. And he was a firm believer and teacher of the idea that we need a balance of the social along with the technical, the recognition of the humans attached to the work needing to be accomplished, the problems needing to be solved, um, the norms and principles that are important for us to hold on to as we try to accomplish something um, that a business is right. intending to deliver. And so, so it really was early culture work as to what we want the culture to be so people feel like they want to be there and they're not just a, a machine. Exactly. And he, um, he had some thoughts about the quality of the relationships that are necessary and that are created over time through different forms of engaging and working with each other and um, the importance of the leaders work in that. And that, I can't say this with certainty, but my sense from my time with him is that fed his realization about the importance of asking genuinely humble, open-ended questions right. that help us learn together, understand each other better, um, help us get unstuck from frustrating moments and things of that nature. Which is an interesting connection, isn't it? Because if, if I want to have strong relationships, uh, the, the interesting step is that I should shut up in some ways, uh, if I want to have a strong relationship, but then I, I could prelude that by if I ask the right question that I'm not, I, I'm not expecting an answer. I don't know the answer. It's very much coming from an inquisitive. I'm interested. I'm curious perspective that then I pay attention to how it unlocks your thinking. That's as powerful a tool as any to build a relationship with somebody else. Yeah, and I would say that um, a subtle difference between the right question and a well-considered question. It's not that the question um, has to be judged or right as, as right or wrong. Um, it is um, offered based on what was said, what's in front of you, um, and does come from a place of genuine interest and curiosity about how the individual or a collective of individuals thinks about something, how it may differ from the way I think about something. Um, and I, you know, and it strikes me that at this moment in time, at least in US culture, and I, I think it's a bit of a pattern globally when things too quickly default to confrontation or, um, not so much confrontation as um, 
exhausting, circular, yeah. one position thinking. Um, that picking up some of Ed's practices can do nothing but help us learn to take steps forward with each other. Well, and that well-considered question is one, I, I think, to your point, quite often these days, whether it be in a leadership role or a, just in the societal role, we hear something and we immediately go to our response to that one thing. And so we're wanting to reinforce our perspective. And we don't learn anything when we're just reinforcing our perspective, but that humble inquiry, that idea of uh, a well-considered question is is of value to both of us because that one question will potentially help me see something differently as well as unlocking thinking in others. Yes, and I will hook back to the pausing and um, pausing for, for 10 seconds to either for you to think or for someone else to offer something in exchange. I think um, it strikes me. My observation is that some of our, our some of our ways of responding are becoming habitual and um, not as well considered as they could be. And that for a lot of us, we don't know other ways to step into something that could be messy, that is important to step into, right. not to um, not to fight about, not to back away from. That there there has to be some way to step into it. And I I learned again accidentally. I learned <laughs> I learned a lot of these things from accidentally trying it, and I didn't know I was doing it. I'm remembering. I was at the home of a neighbor who had invited me for dinner and had a way of thinking on something that was going on societally that could not be more different than the way I think about it. And I was a guest and I had couldn't let my silence mean agreement. So I remember in the moment I looked at this neighbor and said, you know, I think differently about that than you. And it was that phrasing that allowed her certainty to um, genuinely be curious about how it is that I could think differently about it. And, I, and, it, and it strikes me that certainty can get us stuck as well. Yeah. And that's part of how Ed Shine talked about relationship building as well, that there were there's room for different perspectives and different thinking. And how do we navigate that together, given what, especially in a workplace, we're held responsible to accomplish together? Right. And, and you know, there's a couple of things I'd pull out there. One of them is the spaces, because you talk about the 10 second last time we chatted and, and that space, because we need the space to come up with a well-considered question. And yet all too often, it feels like any conversation, uh, if there's a space that's more than two or three seconds long, somebody will fill it. Yeah. Uh, and it's again, filling it with non well-considered <laughs> thoughts or uh, which then don't help move the thing in a, a more constructive direction. And a, I, I like your framing with your neighbor, and I've I've heard an, uh, another tool that 
has been recommended to me that when you you have that very different, strongly different opinion, that the the great question is, well, help me understand how you got there. Exactly. Because that then opens up that thinking again, rather than it just being, well, let me tell you what I think. Right. Right. And I, so now the hook back to, um, to Ed Shine, he put a lot of, he held leaders, especially senior leaders, leaders, um, highly accountable for how it is that the rest of the organization um, showed up with each other. Mm-hmm. So he had, um, when he would use the word humble, he really meant um, stopping knowers, stopping tellers, just because your name is in this box on the org chart doesn't mean that's the way you need to behave. It's um, That is more about reinforcing your own title yep. versus helping others to um, learn in respectful ways how to go forward in complex systems that have a lot of ambiguity and not a whole lot of um, facts. Right. <laughs> I mean, the, the data is constantly changing. The conditions are constantly changing. So how might a senior leader model curiosity and vulnerability um, by by not making people believe that they are they are all knowing, right? Wisdom is in the in within all of us. And so it's that that humility is putting myself in a place where uh, I want the answer to come from other people, and and because there's probably going to be a better answer. Uh, and it ties together a a, a few things that. Um, you know, that sense of moving from authority to influence. So even though I have the authority, I'm operating from a place of influence. Yes. And for for a lot of people with their names in the boxes or any of us, that is historically not been the, the behaviors, the ways of showing up that have been rewarded. We have... Um, gotten the next promotion or gotten the next job or gotten a bonus from being the person who got it right, um, ran through fire, whatever it took. And that is, that that just isn't sustainable. It's not a sustainable way. It doesn't sustain humans' energy and it certainly puts a, a company's purpose at risk. And, and that links back to the uh, Jim Collins research in Good to Great, doesn't it? That the level five leaders were quite often the people who exhibited these kinds of behaviors rather than the authoritarian, uh, it's all on me, I've got it all, uh, the, the kind of Lee Iacocca character leaders, if you like. Right, and, and Edgar Schein referred to that as the CEO owns the culture. Um, do it, it, it can't be do as I say, not as I do. Yep. If you're living it and modeling it and wobbling just like the rest of us and 
um, putting intention towards being a little bit better every day and true to what we say our, our purpose and principles are, um, then um, that's, that's what it means to work here and be nurtured by working here. Uh, the line I've been using recently is uh, that culture is a direct reflection of leadership action. Absolutely. That's... Which, you know, is what he's saying there in a, a lot of ways. And and then uh, the other term I hear a lot in a, in one of my clients is closing the say-do gap, which is the gap between what I say and what I do. Mm -hmm. uh, and making sure that that's, there's hardly any, if any, gap between those two things. And, and, and that's what you're talking about in how he was talking about organizational culture in the early days right right he um you know they're being leaders are always being watched um they are always being watched and so how you show up on the little things the little everyday things matters it absolutely matters and that goes back to this idea of um with Ed feeling very strongly that it can't be about the leader's status. It has to be in service to the people they are there to lead. Right. And it it's was been... uncommon. It was highly, highly uncommon for Ed at the at the beginning of his work to be putting that in front of people. It was it was not popular. It was um scoffed at. By some, so it took a lot of um, conviction for Ed to lead this work. Um, his work was informed by time he spent um, partnering with people in complex systems, and it's proven itself out. Yeah, and and he came at a time and a place where in North America, in particular, it was a very command and control authoritarian, authoritarian post-war military-esque uh, workplace experience where you went to work, you did as you were told. Yes. And and then has emerged that into, and it's one of the challenges many of my clients have is that uh, every uh, new employee sounds like a three-year-old because after they're told to do anything, the first thing they say is why. And so it's got to be about that engagement and that bringing people along. And I, I did a, an episode a, a couple of episodes ago are with three CEOs where we were talking about the when is their voice loud versus when is it helpful? And and I like the linkage here because that's what you're talking about is it's loud when I'm using my authority or other people see the authority over the value. And what I like about uh, Shine's work there is that it, it that well thought out question uh, should help dismantle the sense of authority because I'm not telling you I'm asking a question to unlock your thinking and get you going down a path that may not be a path I've already thought about, but it could be the right path for a customer, for a, a client, wherever it might be. Yeah. And I think that um, goes hand in hand with this notion of it's important for leaders, CEOs, and the, and those who, um, are in the in the leadership structure to provide direction, which is not the same as being directive. Um, if if I've been clear 
about what we need to do, where we need where we need to be, and I've been clear about the um, the guardrails, what's mm-hmm. in scope, out of scope, and I've been clear about milestones along the way. Get out of the way and let the wisdom of the people yep. um, unlock what's possible. Yeah, the author David Marquette uses the term uh, "push the decision making down to where the information's at." Exactly. Where the not yeah, the information, the knowledge, um, the people closest to the work know the work. Yeah. So let them let them do their work. Yeah. And, and he says set intent mm-hmm. and then let the people make the decisions as opposed to the old hierarchy, which is everybody comes to the captain for the the orders. Exactly. Uh, the captain should just set the intent and allow people to do their work. So then if you had a, a couple more key learnings from your experience with uh, Ed Shine, what else would you either highlight or push people towards in terms of, hey, take a look at this? One that comes to mind is to be clear about purpose. And I'll hook that back to, um, it was, I think you said it was the CEOs who sat at felt like three-year-olds who were saying, why? Um, Actually, um, for adults in complex system, adults don't want their time wasted. (laughs) It's not their first rodeo. Um, Some have been there for a very long time, and there are some very deep patterns that no matter what a new leader might want to throw at it, there are things that are in place that the people closest to the work have learned will make that sometimes impossible. So clarity of purpose, clarity around um, how am I making sure that when I make a request as a leader or provide um, an expectation as a leader that it within it are conditions of respect for the people who are being asked to step up, the asks are getting harder. The asks are becoming more frequent. And all this is happening in a time when people are still weary and coming out the other side or still somewhere in the middle of coming out the years of the pandemic. So um, I would say, post-pandemic and shine was still um, even, I would say even more fiercely advocating for the importance of the cultural conditions in which we're asking people to show up and do their best work. Right. Yeah. And and this is a guy who died earlier this year at the age of 94, who was so switched on that he's thinking about that in the last couple of years and about how much, how important it is on the back of that. And, you know, I, I recorded something recently about what I call the GSDs, the the polite versions, the get stuff done people who have been called upon in the last three years and are now feeling tired because they've not stopped being called upon for three years and yeah. trying to get leaders to tune into that and, and recognize. I, I had a conversation last week with some people who were saying, maybe, just maybe we have to have more people doing less work. And that's not the American way. Not at all. Uh, I mean, because that means less profit. Right. 
Right. Um, yeah, it's um, more people doing less work. Huh. Well, there's there's a challenge. <laughs> but I mean, that's the that's the it is the challenge, isn't it? Because historically, the capitalist system is let's squeeze everything for every ounce of profit. And and yet what we're seeing now is maybe that 35 hour week is what people want. And that means I have to have a couple of employees to to cover the same space I used to have, try and get one. And and that means that that's eating into my profit and my value. And and yet, if that's creating the environment that can generate even more, I'm making a bet on it working in the future. And I've, I've seen this happen with people who've gone from working kind of 12, 15 hours a day and saying, okay, I'm going to stop work at 5.30. I'm not going to do any more work and we'll have to get home. Three weeks later, they're doing more work than they could, but are still within the eight-hour day. And it's because they are enjoying the time off and they're re-energizing from the time off and they're bringing more value and more precision to their eight-hour day than they were when they were working 15 hours. Yeah, it, it, um, I, over the years, many people have said, I come into work an hour early, whatever an hour work early means, because I get more done in that hour during yeah. the rest of the hours I'm at work. So my, it strikes me, it could be the, the same notion. Yeah. How do we think differently about how we use increments of time and how we, and I, and, and, what does that mean about how I how I partner with people in ways that may not have been my usual ways of going about them? Yep. Yeah, which is interesting because that's changing the culture of work, isn't it? Which gets us back to uh, Ed Shine's work and making sure that it's relationship built. Absolutely, and. Any, any says you have to, relationships are about finding ways to be with people um, that allow you to get to know them deeply, different levels of relationship, and that the deeper the relationship, the more questions you have asked to understand each other better and to give each other the benefit of the doubt and believe that um, they have your interest in mind, not just their own. And ultimately, ultimately at the deepest relationship at level, um, I know I can count on you no matter what. And that there are circumstances for each of us where that's probably happened with one or two individuals over the course of our work life. Um, how do we how do we make that a multiplier? Well, uh, I I heard myself saying out loud to somebody on the way back from an event this weekend, I didn't like that person until I got to know them. And I, <laughs> I thought, how can one be so wise and so stupid in the same sentence? You're a very human person, David. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's it. So um, I read Humble Inquiry, which is uh, hum Humble Inquiry, as you say, it, uh, which is uh, by uh, Edgar and Peter Shine. Yeah, in Ed's um, last years of his work, he had such a very, very long work life. So in I know it was at least five years and perhaps longer than that. Um, Peter Shine, 
his son is um, a very accomplished professional, has spent a lot of time in the um, technology industry and obviously couldn't help but be influenced by his his father's work. And ultimately they proposed an experiment to each other to see how they might partner in their work. And um, yeah, and became, um, and it was Peter who encouraged Edgar to um, re repackage, so to speak, some of Ed's deepest learnings to make them more accessible to people, which is how he came to write those um, little books, those that are packed with gems of humble inquiry, humble leadership. Um, and um, it was actually when the day Ed died, he had spent the day doing work with Peter and um, died quietly when he was taking a nap after a day of work. So a lot of us who who knew him and held him in such high regard were thinking, well, I think that's the way I want to go too. Yeah, yeah. What's better than that? Just feeling like you had a good day of something that mattered to you and you settled in for a nap and that was that was the last page in your book. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I think that sounds like a perfect spot to end. Uh, and so I will put a, a couple of links to those uh, those book that you mentioned in the show notes. And I really appreciate your time today coming. And if folks haven't heard of Edgar Schein, I highly encourage them to go out and and take a look at, especially those um, the the humble inquiry, humble leadership books, uh, which are the more recent ones. And as you say, they're I think are a lot more accessible than some of the early stuff because uh, he is a bit of an academic at heart. Right. And, right. and so that they're really tangible and get hold of them. And, and you see where it really fits in with the culture that uh, we need to create uh, in 2023 uh, in order to create successful organizations. So Margie, thank you for your time today. And Edgar Schein, thank you for your work uh, in 94 years. And, uh, and thank you for joining us. It was good to be with you again. Thank you. That was the Humanity Leadership Podcast. My name's David Wheatley. For further information about Humanity, go to humanity.com or check out our latest book, What Great Teams Do Great, from all good bookstores. Have a good one. Stay healthy. Mm-hmm.